Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brant. And on this episode, what do we have here? It's SST43, The Blasting Concept, Volume 2. Mm-hmm. This is a mind blower, and really looking forward to talk about this release. There's uh, just a ton of cool stuff to get into. I don't know, Brant, but I always seem to throw it over to you. You've got some wicked spiels these days. I- I'm I'm just going to guess you've got a couple for me. I do, yep. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before you spiel, hang on a sec. Okay, nice, now you can go. Nice move. Now you can go. All right. Uh, well, I've got a couple reviews. So I finally finished this Bruce Duff book, The Smell of Death. When I say finally, it's not like I was dragging my ass reading it. I uh, I have a bunch of magazine magazine subscriptions, and some of them are like monthly, some are bi-weekly, some are like bi-monthly. Every once in a while, there's what I call a perfect storm where they all line up. That happened recently. It's like when you're in a in a good book and one of your magazines come in, it's almost like a disappointment in a way. And so like I plowed through about half of this book and then put it down for a while and then picked it back up. But I have to say, I've, as you have, uh, I've read a zillion of these kinds of books. This one for me was better than most of them, I thought. I mean, for me, as I've mentioned, I'm into the subject matter, like Jeff Dahl and kind of the the related stuff. But also Bruce is a really great writer. You're way more into that type of music. I read that one a couple of years ago just because it sounded cool and I kind of knew about the guys. I loved it too, but I didn't appreciate it on the same level as you, I know. Yeah. Well, he's a really great writer. He has apparently done a, a fair amount of writing for magazines and he also i think was that was one of his jobs at triple x records was writing press releases ah okay he wrote this entirely by himself there's a introduction by cheetah chrome from the dead boys and an afterword by tony adolescent who we've mentioned he played in a band with adz but other than that he, he wrote it himself he's really funny he, he can really put you in the tour van and i'm gonna read you an excerpt from the book one of my favorite parts okay Lay it on me. So they're in, uh, I don't know where they are, the Czech Republic maybe? This is on a European tour. So uh, they're they're playing a lot of like squats and stuff almost. Not a glamorous tour at all. No, it's a punk rock tour. And they're playing like youth centers run by, by punks. So this is definitely one of those places. So he's describing it. <laughs> and they're sleep, they sleep in a lot of these places too. There's like band rooms. They're generally not great. Here's his description of of where they're sleeping. The courtyard is frozen solid and is slippery. A half-decayed staircase goes up the far wall to the second floor balcony. From there, a double door leads into the club apartments. They're anything but lavish. Two rooms, five ancient cots with moth-chewed, filthy mattresses. The wooden floors haven't been swept since the Seven Weeks War of 1866 and the windows have no curtains. A girl smiles somewhat sheepishly as she distributes blankets to all of us. It feels a little like the last night before before being shipped to the front. She seems a little embarrassed and I kind of feel sorry for her. We probably seem ungrateful. After all, we are ungrateful. (laughs) (laughs) 
But the fact is, she is doing her best with what she has at hand. That's just the way it is. It's not that we're in a poor area, though. The curtainless windows look across and up at lavish apartments. As I relax on my cot in the waning sunlight, I gaze up to watch a native prog gentleman log some miles on his exercise bike and stare back down at me as he thinks to himself, more well, more weirdos sleeping in that hellhole over there. <laughs> you guys will not believe this, laughs Tim, entering the room. We follow him through our apartment's front double doors out to the balcony. He points ominously down to the end of the outside hall. That's our bathroom. Go check it out. We approach slowly, cautiously. The door to the small outhouse has been unceremoniously ripped asunder and tossed to the side. <laughs> the toilet bowl has no, no seat, and as we get closer and look in, we see that it's filled with frozen turds. Alternate means of defecation will have to be worked out. Yeah, brutal. Yeah. It was a good read. Yeah. It was a good read. I think I might have mentioned this, but I looked up the chapter on Bug Lamp in Keith Morris's book. This is af way after I'd read it, just because I was curious to see if he mentioned Bruce Duff. And he does. He doesn't say a lot, but he's like, Bruce was a really easygoing guy. And you can totally tell in this book that he's got a, a really easygoing disposition. Oh, yeah, because he doesn't complain nearly as much as Henry does in getting a van. <laughs> no, no, he sure doesn't. Not even close. Yeah, my other recommend is I watch that L7 documentary, Pretend We're Dead. It's good. I mean, it's uh, it relies very heavily on home videos that they shot. Oh, yeah. Which are good because they're really funny and it's a lot of footage of them goofing around backstage and, and, and things like that, but... It really drove home the music for me. I've always loved L7. I especially loved them in the 90s. I'm definitely going to be revisiting some of their stuff because I don't go back to them as much as I should. So I'd recommend that for sure. I still want to borrow that off you. Yeah, for sure. I have to do a little plug. Michael T. Fournier, friend of the pod, is going on tour. What? Uh, yeah, he's going on tour with his friend Mike Falloon, who has a new book out called The Other Night at Quinn's. Uh, it's out now on Razor Cake and Gorski Press, and Michael is road testing stuff from his hopefully forthcoming third novel, and uh, they've got a bunch of dates coming up. We'll be posting them on all our social media. As of the time we're recording this anyways, they're looking for shows in Detroit, Lansing, Ann Arbor area, and Wisconsin as well. So if you can help out, it's michaeltfournier at gmail.com. And speaking of friend of the pod michael you lent me this razor cake that you mentioned a few weeks ago that he does some book reviews in i had to say i flipped through it and i read an article with reverend norb that he did yeah and yeah. Uh, i used to read a lot i used to buy mrr and for a short while hit list remember that zine yeah no uh, rev norb had one of the better columns in mrr for sure yeah i always enjoyed it and i was also still am a, a fan of his band boris the sprinkler uh but he has a really good article on the album uh descendants album all yeah i really yeah, like it try, he's trying he's trying to like justify it but can't yeah i listened to <laughs> that i listened to it after reading it you know for for descendants for me like that's not an album i was ever really into other than like the hits on it you know off yeah. of like summary or whatever but i listened to it after reading the article it was it was a really good article so i wanted to mention that too I guess we'll get to that in like 300 episodes or something. 
Ish. Yeah. 300, 300-ish. Those are my spiels. What do you have? Oh, okay, my turn? Your turn. All right, wait a second. Spiel with the dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus points if you can name the song that that's from. Me? Yeah. Uh, well, it's Fire Hose. Yeah, but from what song? Uh, it's not easy. Is it on Fly in the Flannel? Yeah, man, keep going. Is it... It's at the end of one of the songs. Yeah, kind is of it, the middle. Is it Hear Me? No, it's Up Finnegan's Ladder. Oh, okay. Close. Yeah, close. I only really have... Well, first, I want actually wanted to... Uh, I You know I don't really do the social media thing a ton, but I did kind of poke around on there today and just to see the comments and the folks that are kind of following the podcast and making all sorts of connections and commenting and stuff. I just thought it was super cool, and I, I went on there for half an hour and just kind of poking around, learned about some different websites, different bands, so just wanted to say thanks. I mean, um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate folks kind of having an interest in the show. So, yeah, we, I mean, we we do this very econo out of our uh, our own pockets and our own blood and sweat blood, sweat, and tears um, because we're friends and because we love this music and we love meeting and making new friends on the show. So uh, just wanted to say thanks as a first spiel for me. Yeah, before we started recording tonight, we usually, I usually tell you about, you know, comments that we got on social media and stuff because for me, as I said before we started recording, that's one of the things that makes this worth doing for me. So, yep. It's really easy to have you update me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I much prefer that. But yeah. I and but I did I again, I really appreciate it and saw some uh, very cool comments. Great community building out there. Yeah. My my second spiel though was you recommended a podcast a number of episodes ago turned out a punk. Mhm. And you recommended speaking of fire hose. That's what got me to think I should uh, get that up Finnegan's Ladder clip for this episode anyways because I listened to the Jack Black episode right where he's talking about how uh, him and the his needle friend, drop test or whatever they used to needle drop on Rage and Fallon and every and they would just drop it like a hundred different times in every location on that record was just amazing and just full of I think Jack Black said it was just full of pure, you know, punk juice and it's Mike true. Watt. It's true. Mike, yeah, Mike Watt, like just excellence and stuff. He described. I, I actually chuckled out loud. I'm not the hugest Jack Black fan, but it was, uh, it was a good one. But I wanted to ask you a question though, because I was listening to that podcast, and you know this. I was like. I was in an airport yesterday listening to this podcast that was delayed, trying to get back home. And they were talking about, this is uh, Damien and Jack on the podcast, talking about like what got them or what got Jack into punk. And I don't want to repeat that question, but the question I wanted to ask you, and I've never asked you this, I'm curious, what was the very first punk rock show you ever went to? First punk rock show? Yeah, uh, I have no idea. Probably DOA. Yeah, but where and who was playing with them too? It was before their first breakup, so it would have been before 13 Flavors of Doom was out. 
So DOA, cool. Yeah. What was yours? Uh, I was trying to think. It's one, it's, I can't tell for sure. It was either the Hanson Brothers, which yep. is a no means no side project. They kind of do Ramones type music, but hockey themed with a band from my hometown opening up called Pork Sword. Yep. That was either my first show or the first show that I went to was one I actually played at. The headlining act was a kind of a big country metal punk crossover type band back in the day in Canada called The Smalls. Mm -hmm. And there was four or five bands on the bill at this uh, Legion Hall. And I had, like in grade nine, got into punk. And then two months later, I'm playing this show. So it's one of those two. I can't remember for sure. But um, I can't remember that Smalls gig that well, but I still have a very, very vivid memory of the Hanson Brothers punk rock show, which I, you know, might have been my first one because it was at this all ages club on a campus above the kind of like the over 18 club and their lead singer, Johnny Hanson, a.k.a. John Wright, the drummer for No Means No, he would always do these big scissor kicks and punch in the air. And at this show, he punched like right into the acoustic tile in the ceiling and it nice. all just came down nice. and it was the best. I also have very vivid memories of seeing DOA when I was fairly young. Same thing. There's a clip of, well, there's lots of clips of talking heads in like punk documentaries going like DOA were always on fire every time. And it's true. Like, I've seen them dozens of times, but man, like, what a first show to see. Yeah, they were totally, no matter who was playing with Joey and crew, my favorite lineup was when Brian Goble, Brian Wimpy Roy from the Subhumans, and uh, Ford Pier, who was a kind of a Canadian punk rock luminary, that was my favorite lineup. Mm -hmm. There is a great Nardwar, the Human Serviette, interview with Ian Mackay. And Ian Mackay is just like, dude, DOA. Yeah. DOA set the standard back then. Yeah. It's like, no, if you've got a show, you make it to the show. And that was that was the example that DOA set for sure. Oh yeah. If you've read Joe's book, like they didn't fuck around. I would have loved to have seen him with biscuits and rampage, but too I was too young. Uh PS, I have DOA's new album. So I'll uh I'll give you a review next week. What's it called? Fight Back. Yeah, yeah. Fight Back. I read about it um, in one of the Canadian kind of music mags over this past weekend. I was like, wow, no kidding. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Eventually. But no surprise that you got it the day it came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you were speaking about social media. One more thing I wanted to mention. So we launched our, our blog a couple weeks ago. We haven't done much since, but we did get some great response to our Joe Carducci interview and i want to thank joe again he's been such a big help he helped even uh with some of the stuff for tonight's episode so don't give it away i won't but really appreciate all of joe's help and uh, there's more great stuff on the way we've been working hard on some some stuff for the blog so please stay tuned by we've been working hard brant means mostly brant <laughs> <laughs> mostly uh i can't wait let's get into the blasting concept volume two History lesson, part one. All right, so we said, well, at least I said at the outset, this is kind of a, a mind blower of a release. 
it's hard to know kind of where to start. It's hard not to compare it to Blasting Concept Volume 1. Can I start with something? Please do. Uh, can I give you the all-music review by Stuart? Oh. Stuart <laughs> Mason that I found online? Go, yeah, please do, because I've got a couple of reviews too. It's amazing what people say about this release, but keep yeah. going. Go. This, this is not a notion that I subscribe to, but here's what Stuart had to say. And I think, unfortunately, this is, the, it, like, opinion is definitely divided on this release. And this, yeah, this is, 100%. I think this kind of sums up one of those opinions. Here it is. Perhaps unwittingly, Blasting Concept 2 marks pretty much the exact point at which SST Records irretrievably lost it. There are a couple of minor tracks by the Minutemen whose guiding light D. Boone had recently been killed in a car accident, and Husker Du, who had just split for Warner Brothers, not to mention a weak effort by label head Greg Ginn's Black Flag, who were well into their tiresome Black Flag and Weed phase. The problem is, is that the newer bands Ginn had signed to SST had little of the invention of the band's who were deserting the label. Artists like Worm, Painted Willie, and Gin's Own Gone were substandard jam bands making music that was every bit as meandering and dull as that of the dinosaur jam bands punk rock was supposed to have killed off. Blasting Concept 2 is dull, perfunctory, and irrelevant. Oh. Yeah. So that, wow. that shows you where Stuart is coming from. He thinks uh, Black Flag is a... Uh, is tiresome and i mean again he's talking about he kind of is saying like they're they're turning into that which they they despised we've said this before but i don't think they i don't think they never that, despised it yeah i don't think sst ever claimed to be a punk label they never were right from day one yeah so check out this one from simon reynolds and he wrote a book called rip it up and start again Mm -hmm. post-punk 1978 to 1984 and i think i lent you this book mm -hmm. i generally now, liked it but yeah it well it is a good book i would recommend this book and there is a chapter in it on sst and black flag and kind of some offshoot uh topics there was a good uh a good chapter on pill no there's lots of great chapters in here there's one on pill there's once on one on the pop group Gang of Four, Wire, Joy Division, The Fall. So, I mean, you can tell why I sought out this book mm -hmm. clearly. But chapter 24 is called The Blasting Concept, Progressive Punk from SST Records to Mission of Burma. What's all Simon uh, have to say about this one? So, and you should note, too, that th that chapter, there's two versions of this book. That chapter on the blasting concept and, and SST, it's only in the UK version of this book. So buyer beware if you buy this off of Amazon be or whatever. I had to buy this twice. Okay. Um, and uh, I lent you the good one with the blasting concept chapter. Now, he doesn't really get into blasting concept two in this chapter, but there is a blog by Simon Reynolds that's called like the footnotes to this book. Okay. And he put and he and it goes even deeper than in the book. And in it, he links to a record review from Melody Maker in autumn of 1986. And this is what he says about the Blasting Concept Volume Two. Quote: 
like British punk, hardcore went awry when it began to worry about, quote, progression. When doubt crept in about the music's very strengths of economy, discipline, aggression. Those limits were the source of the music's power. And the attempts to explode those limits only led to the return of the hippie things. Self-expression, growth, fusion, conceptualism, musoship. Take Black Flag, who began with the most economical of existential stances and rattled the bars. Now, their abysmally prolific output includes LPs of instrumentals, spoken word albums, and books. And then he just it just goes on and on, basically criticizing the tracks as Black, Sla- Black Sabbath wannabes, characterizing Gone as like a, a super group, quote-unquote, criticizing Swa. How can Gone and, be a super really, group? The... <laughs> The other two guys were unknowns at the time, but... Yeah, he really just kind of compares it to Blasting Concept 1 and says, you know, this one pales in comparison. I'll give you another review that is also... Because, I I mean, we've got to shift gears here in a second after we go through these, but I've mentioned this book before, the Flex series that uh, Burkhard Johnch puts out. It's called... Flex, a discography of North American punk, hardcore, and power pop, 1975 to 85. It's a two-volume set, and this is from volume A to M under B. And it says, this is similar to your original one, it says, quote, although the label was already in decline at this point, my humble opinion, I'm sure many will agree Black Flag, Minuteman, Husker Du, Stains versus Tom Tricoli's dog, October Faction, DC3. Do we really have to discuss this? This second volume is more interesting than the first, in a way, because almost all the songs are exclusive. But then he goes through each of the songs and basically kind of slams them a bit. But he does give a bit more of a measured review the point that he's making is similar to the point that you made in your review from Stewart is mm-hmm. is the suggestion that SST was like over at this point. Well, obviously, you know, that's not true. There are some some of their best releases are yet to come. Yeah. Uh, at many years down the line too. And I would suggest that most people probably listening listening to this podcast, I think would agree with you know, would disagree with those reviews we just read, or they probably wouldn't be listening. So, yeah, it is fair to say though that this release does embody a bit of a transition at the label. I mean, we have alluded to the fact that they are broadening over the last ten or twenty ep- releases or so, but you're really getting a flavor for some of the directions that the label is going to go. And this is a really weird release. It's almost like a KTEL or in Canada, a quality records sampler, as opposed to the Blasting Concept Volume 1, which had a bit of an identity. This is like, you know, this is a special list price of $349, and the back of the cover is like an advertisement for 70 other releases. Yeah. This is a diff- this is a way different vibe than Blasting Concept 1. And I think I think it came out in 86. So 
a lot of these, I, I would say about half of them uh, are exclusive tracks, you know, that didn't come out on any other release, and the rest of them are on releases that hadn't been released yet. We'll get to all that in History Lesson Part 2. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I, I've, sure. got a, I've got a good uh, Joe Carducci quote here. Here's what he said. I had been collecting non-LP tunes for a year or so. It was hard to get the global bands, we'll talk about that in a minute, to fix on non-LP, so there was no extra dog, and I think they reused some of the Blasting Concept 2 songs on cassettes or whatever. Greg never understood record buyers or collectors. The idea was to do another cheap sampler, but give an even better deal than the first one, which a lot of people may have had had the original records the tunes were from. So when he's talking about the global bands, at this point, SST and Global are in two different buildings, I believe, and they're, they're kind of split into factions. You've got Joe Carducci and Mugger kind of in the SST building and Greg and Chuck over in Global. And I the Global bands are kind of the Greg Ginn bands, I think, like Tom Tricoli's Dog, which he's in, Gone, Swa. So that's what Joe says about, about this, that he was specifically collecting these tracks, but that you know, some of those other bands, like the ones I just mentioned, maybe didn't have extras. They only recorded enough for for their albums. And then this is about the numbering, the catalog numbering that we've, we've discussed recently about how it was kind of all jumbled up. He says, uh, about numbering, some records got started but took forever to finish. And for warehousing, I would try to number, say, Meat Puppets with nines, and Black Flag with odd numbers, and Minutemen with even numbers. Esoteric, but I figured it would help with warehousing down the line. And, uh, <laughs> that is awesome. It is awesome. And if you look at uh, the catalog numbers, I have them right here. On the back of the jacket? Yeah. Uh, up on please. Meat Puppets, Up on the Sun, 39. So it ends with a 9. Uh, meat Puppets 2. 19. What did he say? Start with or end with? End with a nine. Uh, out Meat Puppets Out My Way, which we're going to get to in about three, four weeks. 49. <laughs> so, Self-titled Meat Puppets. Nine. Yeah. Pretty cool, hey? Yeah, well, I mean, that explains how this is SST 43, and it, it does list the fir- basically the first 70 releases on here it goes all the way up to sst 70 the seven inch wonders of the world cassette yeah so there are all these really like 37 if you were if you were to think that this came out not just sequentially but also chronologically in time this would be alluding to you know 37 releases that haven't actually been issued yet yeah so it's just bizarre yeah uh before we get to history lesson part two which i'm looking forward to getting into because I want to talk about these tracks. There's two more things I wanted to mention. Maybe this is for History Lesson Part 2, I don't know. But no Das Domin, Ryan. Did you notice yeah. that? Oh yeah. And I can't help but wonder if it's because this came out before they had actually released that record. That's that's what I was thinking. Here's the other thing I wanted to mention. This was uh, something our friend of the pod, Felice Lacoco from Overkill, sent over actually. He sent a link to a band called Easy Tiger from Iowa City. And oh, they, I was going to mention that. Were you? They did. Do you oh, saw, yeah. You saw that. They did a tribute to the whole album in 2013. Yes. And it's really did good. You listen, did you, you listen to it? Yeah. 
what's it's, re- it's really faithful yeah the guitar tones were what really struck me like uh you know for example the uh the guitar tone on on the saint vitus track they really dialed it in i thought yeah it's muddy yeah <laughs> yeah i well you know i'm i mean i kind of just scour my bookshelves and do some creative googling and stuff and see what what comes up and that one I wouldn't say that that was in deep Google. I got that in kind of the first 12 or so, but I was like, what is this? Because you've mentioned a couple of other groups that have done like full album tributes, like yeah. that one band. I can't remember their name, but they did My War, right? I think they were called Gas Kill, and then there was the Grand Astoria one that they did the process of weeding out. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't help but think, I mean, how many other, I don't know, I guess that's just three so far. But that seems like a hell of a lot of complete album tributes for yeah. a single label. If anybody knows about any more, fire them over to us. Yeah, I was really impressed with this one. Actually, probably most impressed uh, by this one. The Same. other two were great too, but this one was just because they've got to cover off, you know, 15 different bands and styles. I thought it was just insane. Yeah, it was good. Let's, uh, let's talk about the tracks. History Lesson, Part 2. You want to run them down track by track and talk about them? Sure. Okay, I'm going to start because I'm the St. Vitus guy. All right. <laughs> I think this is a good track to start Start it with, for me. Look behind you. Look behind you, in the pole position. Uh, it's a very early song. I was actually, I threw it in, in the Discogs search engine to see what else, what other releases it, it came on. And there was a bootleg on there of, remember their band was before uh, St. Vitus was called uh, Tyrant? Yeah. There, There is a, a bootleg of Tyrant demos and this song is on there. That's how old this is. Uh, but it was recorded during sessions for the first album. I think it's the last track. Same sessions as Walking Dead and uh, the self-titled album. It's going to appear on SST 119, the Thirsty and Miserable EP and SST-226, Heavier Than Thou, but those are both different versions with Wino on vocals. Is Wino on both of them? Yeah, it's the same track. Uh, Heavier Than Thou is a compilation. And Wino is not on this version? No, this is Scott Riegers. Yeah, 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 okay. But I like it. I really like this track. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, I'm not, you know I'm not that big of a Vitus fan. I kind of started to get a little bit more into Vitus after the last episode. And then when I, I have not dropped the needle on this record for way over a decade, for sure, for sure. Up until this week. And I got to tell you, this is, I agree. Like this is a great opening track. It, I almost would, it was almost easier for me to get into Vitus as a track on a compilation. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you're not a huge fan, uh, one really great track is probably all you need. And uh, so, yeah, this is the first track that is exclusive to this release. Right. So next is the Des Kadena 3, DC3, doing theme from an imaginary Western. I wasn't, uh, I had no idea what this song was, but I did some searching. You probably knew this when you heard it. I guess it's a song by a band called Mountain. Uh, well, I, that's how I know it, but, uh, I also Googled it and it's actually written by Jack Bruce and some, and another dude named Pete Brown. Jack Bruce was in Cream. Yeah. Is that a Cream song then? 
while it was on his, I didn't know this, as I said, I know it, I know the mountain version from their debut album, Climbing, which is a great album. Um, Jack originally did it for uh, his 1969 album, Songs for a Tailor, which was produced by Mountain's bassist and vocalist Felix Papalardi. He brought it to Leslie West from that session and, and recommended they do it for Mountain's debut. It's way more well-known as a Mountain song. This was produced by Carducci, so I asked him if this was a leftover from uh, the This Is The Dream sessions, which I assumed it was, but he told me uh, it's from the Good Hex sessions, so that album's already in the can. Wow. Yeah, that is... And that's, that's SST 63. <laughs> yeah. This is recorded at Total Access, but mixed at Tempo in Santa Monica. I guess we knew it was extra, is what he said. And I think, wow. I didn't look ahead... But I'm pretty sure the Des Kadena 3 is actually the Des Kadena 4 on the Good Hex. I believe they have a bassist, but I'm not sure on that. Huh. We'll get to Stay that uh, soon enough. I love Des's soloing on this. The vocals are awesome. He's got a great solo at the start and end of the song. And it ends with a really cool little keyboard thing by Paul that's really great too. Paul Rosler. All right, so next you, is... You, you have nothing to say about theme from an imaginary western? All I had to say was I thought it might be a mountain song, and then over to you, buddy. You didn't like it? <laughs> uh, we'll get to my favorite tracks on this record. We, we're we a long ways away from them yet. <laughs> I already know which ones are your favorite. I like this one, though. Over over to me for Mystery Girl? Is that what yeah, you said? Yeah, our very first SWA song. Well, you know what? Everyone shits on SWA, right? Everyone always says they're the worst band on SST, which... I'll reserve judgment on so far what I've heard I like and I like this one and I love Meryl Ward as a vocalist on yeah. everything I've heard so far including this so we'll be getting into some history lesson part one for SWA soon enough but I'll just quickly mention of course it's Chuck Dukowski Greg Cameron who we've talked about a little bit uh, Meryl Ward and various guitarists uh, I think on most of the albums this again is exclusive to this release as far as I can tell, we will be getting to them soon. Their debut album is going to be SST 53, Your Future, if you have one. So this was probably from that session, I'm guessing. Yeah, this song doesn't even appear on SST 157, which is the SWA comp Evolution 85 to 86. So we've got three tracks right off the bat that are exclusive to this release. Well, keeping with the Brandt theme, uh, Black Flag, I Can See You from the In My Head record. I guess side one is the Brandt side. Can we say that? Uh, you can say that except for one song, but that's pretty darn fair, yeah. Okay, even though this is Black Flag, I gotta be honest, I've never loved this song. I, of course, know this from the EP, I Can See You, that's going to come out way later on SST 226. I believe it's also on the cassette and CD versions of In My Head neither of yeah. which I have. It's on the CD version that I have. Yeah. Of course, I know it, as I mentioned, from the 12-inch EP, I Can See You. This would have been recorded the same March and April sessions in 85 as Loose Nut and In My Head. It's never been a favorite of mine. I always kind of thought it sounded like something from a carnival ride or something. The, riff. the, melody, of the melody of the lead guitar has got a bit of a carnival-esque sound to it. Yeah. Never loved it. You? No. I like the In My Head record a lot, 
there are a ton more songs on it that I like better than this one. I'm glad this isn't on in my head. That's for sure. For me, it well, isn't anyways, because I know the it's record. Not on your, it's not on your version. What do you have it on, LP? Yep. Ah, uh, okay. Can we go to Gone? Gone. Watch the tractor. I love this song. What do you think the tractor is? Because there's, there's an apostrophe. It's actually not a, like a tractor that you farm with. It's something else. Yeah, I don't know. Protractor? Maybe. <laughs> you have to be careful with those things. <laughs> yeah, I know. So yeah. watch it. Yeah. This is from the Let's Get Real real gone for a change sst 61 release yeah it's got greg ginn of course but also andrew weiss and sim kane from rollins band yeah we'll be getting into gone pretty soon here can't wait because i love gone and i love this song i like this song and it's not the only song that i like on this side it's a real rager man it's uh yeah it's it's really tight for gone i mean gone was a gone was a tight band but not you know not like this I could hear this song on one of those Thrasher skate rock tapes for sure. Yeah, totally. Yep. Sounds like something that uh, that band that you and I both like, Removal, might have done. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Very Removal-esque. Track six, Death Ride. Probably from the Feast Sessions, I'm guessing. Yeah, by Worm. That's what I'm thinking, from the Feast Sessions. I could not verify that anywhere. Yeah, I don't love this song. I actually like the next song better. Yeah, Over the Edge. So this was originally written as to be a set opener and to stay as an instrumental. But thankfully, Merrill put vocals on it because they rule. And uh, I love Felice's pinched harmonics. You know I love me some pinched harmonics. And <laughs> <laughs> so That's th- your middle name, isn't it? Yes, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so this was recorded in April 82. Felice told me that. So this is Overkill doing yep. Over the Edge. Am I right then? Merrill is the only guy who's singing vocals on two tracks on this side. Yeah, good point. Now, do you know if this is from the Triumph of the Will sessions? Yeah, April 82. It is. Did you say that already? I missed it. I think so, yeah. Okay. When I was reading up on this track, a lot of people describe it as a bit of a motorhead tribute. I don't really see it that way. No? No. I like the track. I'm not a huge motorhead fan. It sounded motorhead-esque to me, but... That's because I don't know Motorhead very well. Yeah, I know Motorhead very well. I wouldn't describe it that way. Do you want to go to uh, Side Ryan? Yeah, start us off. (laughs) (laughs) So the first song is Saccharine Trust, Emotions and Anatomy. I believe that this is an outtake from the World Broken LP. I don't really love this song, though, as much as a Saccharine Trust fan I am. We'll be getting to that one in a few weeks. It's SST 46. This track is not on that split that we mentioned a couple episodes ago, released on Water Under the Bridge Records. This one, I believe, only appears on this release, and I could live without it. It's not the greatest, but again, I always appreciate Jack Brewer's intensity and artistry. Um, he definitely, he definitely believes, you know, his spiel's. He believes them. Yeah, I I looked ahead to the. Uh world broken album and it says that it's entirely improvised this is what it says on the album entirely improvised on june 9th 1985 at mccabe's guitar shop if i'm not mistaken i think watt is on bass too he is yeah that one will be interesting to get to it might be a hard listen you know given that we we just listened to well i guess not just about 20 episodes surviving you always which is a 
absolutely rock solid record. This will be better than October Faction. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to uh, what's the second one called? The second factionalization. You yeah. never know. You never know. You never know. Next is Painted Willie. First appearance of that band so far for us doing the big time. I don't mind this song. I I I, I haven't listened to Painted Willie for a long time. I remember kind of comparing them to kind of a dead milkman type sound and but not like identical but it's just kind of the closest band i could compare them to so i i quite like this song and it's from the live from van nuys record sst 85 this is the live version because it's also on sst 57 mind bowling which we're going to get to soon enough yeah i don't think this is the live version but it's it's all just to say like it appears three times this song yeah I'm guessing Mind Bowling's already in the can, and it's from that session. Yeah. Which just shows you, like, <laughs> how backlogged they were. You know what I mean? Well, I think as soon as they got, you know, Chuck working in the office and a bit of cash, they just, and Joe on the staff, they just started cranking the recording sessions. I wrote down a little thing about Dave Markey, who plays drums on this. We've talked about him yep. a few times. We got I, power. Yeah, I ended up on like we'll be talking a lot more about Painted Willie once we get into them into their individual episodes, but I have to say like this is just a small sampling of some of the stuff he's done. Uh Reality 86, which we'll be talking about in a couple weeks when we do the In My Head episode. He did the video for Down with the Bass by Firehose. Mud Honey's Who You Driving Now. Meat Puppet Scum, he did the uh, the documentary 1991, The Year Punk Broke. Yep. He did that Dinosaur Jr. bug live at the 930 Club that came out a few years back. And soon enough, we'll be getting to a couple movies he did for SST. Love Doll Superstar right. and Desperate right. Teenage Love Dolls. Right. Have you ever seen any of those? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Have you? We should make, yeah, uh, yeah, we should make a point of watching them. When we're when we're talking about those, oh, we will be, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get to it before the the Jam Bang DVD. <laughs> Hopefully, if we're lucky. If we're lucky. Hey, let's get to Angst. That's the first Angst recording as well. Yep. I'm doing just me. You know, I I really like Angst. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting into them. This is not their greatest song, but I still like this tune. And I believe it only appears on this recording. We're going to see them soon enough on SST 54, I believe. Light Life. Yes. Joe Carducci tells me this is an extra from that session. Ah, okay. Yeah. Light Life is a killer record. Well, this is not a bad song. I kind of no. thought, I thought it wouldn't be out of a place on like a Green on Red album. It's pretty twangy. Yeah, well, it's good. The The problem I have with it is that the record light life is so good this one is not a really good teaser for me i would want something to like get people to go and check out their records almost okay i kind of feel like they're underrepresented by this song let's move on to the pups then go puppets guy i just want to make love to you willie dixon song first recorded in 1954 for chess records by muddy waters willie dixon played bass on the session uh here's from joe Meat Puppet's track was something they recorded in Phoenix sometime after their first album. There was some 8 or 16 track recording they did on their own, so I asked them for that. 
And if you remember back to, I think it was the Up on the Sun episode, they were, they had done some, some recording on their own with a 8 or 16 track recorder around that time. So maybe, maybe that, but I'm not sure. I love the song. I love how it turns into like this total dirge at the end. I think it does appear on the re-release as of uh, the Out My Way record as kind of a bonus cut. I'm pretty sure I have it on the version that I have, hmm. which was released as SST 49 originally, but the re-release I think ha- collects this track on it. Well, we'll find out in a couple of weeks. The thing that struck me about this when listening to it kind of for the first time, and I know we've been through a few Meat Puppet songs, is that we all know that Kurt Cobain was a huge Meat Puppets fan. When I listened to the vocals on this track, it's like, oh yeah, I can really see how Kurt Cobain was influenced by Meat Puppets just in terms of vocal style too. Yeah, that's a good point. Next, the Minutemen doing some VH. Now, do you get to talk about this one because you're a Minutemen fan, or do I get to talk about it because I'm a Van Halen fan? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm going to reveal something. Okay. I am a Van Halen fan. Whoa. But I like Van Hagar better. Oh, my God. Yeah, believe it. That's We're talking like grade six, grade seven, man. Van Hagar. Yeah. I don't mind Van Hagar, if I'm being honest. Some of it. Uh, even the like the hits, but I'm a Dave guy. I'm a little bit older than you, and when I was a kid, it was all Eddie Van Halen, man. We all worshipped him. I mean, just before I got into punk and stuff, 5150 and OU812, they were hard to deny. Yeah, I liked those albums too, and I, I, I own them and still would listen to them. I, I wrote down a few things, though, about Van Halen. Um, here's an... <laughs> Well, here's here's okay. a, here's an Eddie. Tell me, tell me some more about Van Halen. Okay, well, here's an Eddie Van Halen quote that I found about this song, "Ain't Talking About Love," which is on their '78, uh, 1978 debut album. He said it was this was supposed to be a punk rock parody, a stupid thing to us, just two chords. It didn't end up sounding punk, but that was the intention. No way. Way, and I just wanted to note that every time Henry Rollins talks about Van Halen, it's awesome. The last time I saw him, and this might be on one of his albums too, but I don't think it is, but the last time I saw him, he told a story about going to see Ted Nugent in D.C. when he was a kid with Ian MacKay and watching Van Halen mop the floor with the Nuge. Yeah, oh yeah. Like, so bad that during Ted Nugent's headlining set, people were chanting Van Halen, and to hear to hear Henry tell it, like Ted Nugent just goes at some point just goes, Man, fuck Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. He also tells a story, this might be on on one of his albums about going to an art gallery. And and David have you ever heard this? Dave, David Lee Roth is in the art gallery. Yeah, he mentioned it the last time I saw one of Henry's talking shows. Yeah, and he's like, do you want a beer, man? And he points to his bodyguard, and his bodyguard like opens up his trench coat like a flasher would, and it's all full of beer. <laughs> and Henry's like, no thanks, man. And he's like, Diamond Dave, what are you doing and doing here? And he's like, hey, man, someone's got to own half an art gallery. <laughs> 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 but uh like this was like 
Black Flag was still active <laughs> during this story. And uh, Van Halen also has a song on their 1984 album called Top Jimmy, which is about Top Jimmy and the Rhythm Pigs, who Dave jammed with back in the day. Ah. So Dave was aware of the punk scene, and he was definitely around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've read a few stories about him kind of carousing on the strip during some when punk was kind of getting popular and competing for some stage time with more of the metal bands. Yeah. We should mention though, of course, this song appears on double nickels on the dime. Is it the same? Is it the same version, Ryan? No, this is the uncensored version. D Boone is D Boone is, uh, this is the blue version. Okay. Yeah. Oh, cause he's not fucking around or whatever. Yeah, Exactly. Next. Oh, I, I have to, one more thing to say about this uh, track. What is it about? Is it about Van Halen? No. Uh, okay. I like the way Watt plays the main riff on the bass, like the guitar riff. And I think he's playing with a pick. Did you notice that? Could be. Could be. And they never they never do the chorus. They just do like one verse and then they go to the hey, hey, hey stuff. Yep. And then they're done. Yeah. I, I think this might actually be a longer version than what is on Double Nickels though. Yeah. Michael T. Fournier talks about this song in his book though i should go back and read that again i should have done that okay without further ado husker do a race today the new day rising outtake we mentioned it during the podcast sst 31 uh i don't know man you can't deny how insanely good this track is here's what i wrote why the hell would you leave this off new day rising when there's like some serious duds on that album what and aside too ah we was got it, into this already. What's Forget that it. song about the cat? Ah, I'm not getting into it with you. You got to listen to that record as a whole. Yeah, there's some duds on there. Ah, there are duds on Zen Arcade, my friend. Well, yeah, but why would you leave okay. this song off of there? That's what I don't understand. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, but I Absolutely. I did say I did write down that this track makes uh, the blasting concept worth the three forty nine list price. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no doubt. It's so 349. We'll have to talk about the the artwork um, in a bit here. It, but this uh, the list the special list price on this record is so 349. It's on the cover and the spine. There you go. Yeah. Okay, keep going on the Ryan side here. October Faction. I was grotesque. Only appears here. Does it really? I think so. Okay, I wrote that this is coming on SST fifty six, but I didn't actually look that up. So, so I well, I don't know. I've actually never heard the second factionalization, but I did look up the track listing because I read that too, and I don't see this listed as a track list on that on that album. So I don't know. Maybe it will be there just under a different name. We'll find out. And then finally, closing out the record, I think this is our first Tom Tricoli's dog track too. Yep. Todo para mi, which actually appeared on SST 36, the October Faction, but that was the October Faction version. This is about to come out on SST 47. Ooh, I'm looking forward to that one. I'm going to give a little teaser. We interviewed Tom Tricoli for it. Oh yeah. So stick around for that. And if you want to hear where the title, Todo para mi, comes from, go back and listen to our episode... 036 the october faction episode because we talk about about that yeah you i think you laid down a a wicked nugget on that yep (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, well, let's talk about the artwork if we're done on the tracks. Let's do that. I mean, frankly, a very underwhelming cover compared to Blasting Concept 1, which was a mind blower, that uh, Pettibone artwork. This one is, I don't know what you call this, like Dayglow or Chartreuse or something like that. Fluorescent green and orange. It definitely catches your eye. Yeah. But not, but not because the artwork is uh, really captivating. It's funny, you know, I mean, I mentioned at the, at the top of the show that this is kind of like a KTEL Records budget sampler, and they definitely packaged it that way because so much of the SST albums have amazing artwork, and this one just kind of leaves you, leaves you guessing, leaves you wanting. Did you um, look in the back of... Uh, Rock and the Pop Narcotic? No, what does it say there? Okay, well, here's your mind blower for the week. <laughs> Appendix B. The Blasting Concept 2 scrapped Pettibone cover. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Due to circumstances beyond my control, the liner notes commissioned for the album could not be used. Here and now, however, meaning little or nothing and beyond control as well, they can be published for the first time. Right. The unused Pettibone art and the liner notes by Raymond Pettibone are are in in this book. And I asked Joe Carducci why they didn't get used. And he said, Greg didn't like the liner notes that Raymond wrote, and I didn't want to drop the notes and still use his artwork. So I dropped the artwork too. Would have been nice, I think. I had more leeway putting the comps together, except when I didn't. <laughs> Did he mention what the the little bow on the bottom? No. And in give. I think that's like you said. That's give it as a gift. Mm, I think that is maybe from one of like like swiped from one of the comps, like the KTEL type comps. That's what I think oh, of when yeah. I see it. Yeah. Did you have any of those like KTEL or quality record comps growing up? Like your parents had them. Yeah, my parents did. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's funny, I was watching, you know, that uh, Amoeba Records vlog or whatever you would call it, What's in My Bag? I was watching one of those. Lots of dudes, especially metal dudes, when they're on that, they always mention these budget samplers growing up and them being like part of their core DNA. I know for me, there was uh, a double LP compilation and they put like 18 tracks on each side of the double LP. It was just the worst sound quality. They just squoze them on. It's called the Big Surf Sound. It was a double LP that got a lot of rotation when I was growing up as a kid. Got me into surf music for sure. There you go. Yeah, everyone should go to Night Huron Books and uh, order Rock and the Pop Narcotic. And you can and Joe's other books. And Joe's other books. And you can see the uh, Raymond Pettibone's scrapped liner notes for uh, this compilation and see his artwork. Or you can go on our Instagram. So this is weird. On the back cover of my edition, Yep. In a, I can only assume that this is not an original press. It says, also available on cassette and CD. Hmm. Maybe they updated the back cover. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't like know. Like later, to reflect all you know what all had come all out by formats. that point. Yeah, all the formats. But basically, the back cover... In addition to the track listing, it has pictures of all the groups, 
some of these pictures are very cool uh, and then lists all the releases again missing dos domin might be missing a, one or two others all the way up to sst 70 picture of saint vitus is pretty that one dude i don't know which dude it is but he's got like a headband on that's killer that's dave chandler he always wears that headband still to this day and dc3 des with the shades and the hat that's killer yeah swa just look at chuck man in the suit yeah i've seen that promo pic before it's great suave very suave look at the black flag pick too right no bill no kira yeah that's uh i think that's sal and anthony right yep the final lineup Look at that black flag shirt. What would you give for that shirt? <laughs> that looks awesome. We got to wrap this episode up, man. Lay some, uh, lay, lay the ballot result on me. Okay. Well, hang on. The grooves. Oh, yeah, right. Let's do the grooves, okay? We'll do that. And this one is a long one on side one, so forgive me. It says, just so many things can be stapled together. And then it, that is uh, credited to... Christine looks like Jorgensen. And then on the B side, it says, "'Tis not too late to seek a newer world." And that's credited to Tennyson. You want to hear one more one-line review? It's Andrew Earls, the guy that wrote that Husker Du book. The whims of a misguided label mogul. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. This one has got some keepers on it. Are you ready for the ballot result? Yeah, I'm going to allow you to pick it this time. (laughs) oh <laughs> uh, i almost don't want to pick it now I already, everybody already knows what song you're picking <laughs> <laughs> ballot result yeah it's husker do a race today done deal it's a good pick oh, I, yeah. I also could have gone with gone i agree that would be number two for sure yep i agree that that song is pretty solid so let's talk about next week. It's the Me Puppets EP in a car. That should be fun. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.